So the question that I think a company like Second Avenue asks is, how can we apply the best of educational technology to regard all of these individuals, no matter race, color, creed, gender identification, whatever they are, how can we empower all of these individuals to be following a career path that they have chosen, that they've decided that they are going to be invested in, and how can we also help them as they're moving along in their path, five or 10 or 15 years on down the road, how can we help them to make pivots? As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's Firestarter is Pat Keeney. Pat has spent over three decades designing and delivering high-quality, equitable educational experiences. Pat's time as a physics teacher, coach, NASA consultant, learning designer, product manager, and now strategist has given him the chance to see education from many perspectives. For the last 10 years, Pat's focus has been career and workforce education, and he was largely responsible for the design and implementation of the largest national online career academy network for high school students. Pat is a champion for pragmatic solutions through his career programs that can be wildly effective and people can have seamless opportunities to pursue and maintain their next job on the road to becoming their best career self. Welcome so much, Patrick, for coming back to The Luminous Mind. It's always a delight to talk to you, so I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. We have, I think this is our fourth interview now. Is that correct? And so it's going to be a lot of fun uh, talking to you about what you're doing now. I think, you know, the history has been, we talked K-12 and what K-12 was doing. Um, I'm trying to think if there were two K-12 kind of interviews of what you were doing. And then we talked about Accenture last time. Do I have that correct? Accenture? Um, I had, uh, I had started doing some consulting work on my own. So that was Accentuate Learning and still, uh, that still exists. Okay accentuate learning and now we're going to kind of shift gears and move to second avenue which is mm-hmm. a website that you created go yeah, ahead not, not that i created i don't want to take credit for that okay. actually um so about uh, 10 years ago in fact probably the first podcast that we spoke rebecca and by the way thanks for having me on i enjoy these talks greatly and i know we don't have a chance to talk outside of this very much and so i think that even makes these more interesting So you might remember the first time we talked, we talked a little bit about virtual labs and Uh how they can be valuable. It's a great way to use technology if technology is used in a proper way. And if if it's misused, then uh, it's no better than anything else. So the virtual labs were mostly designed by our team in the product development group at K-12. And Uh we had to rapidly make 50 or 60 of them. And Second Avenue Learning was one of the companies 10 years ago 
that helped us with that project. And I, I met Victoria Van Voorhis, who's the CEO and founder of uh, Second Avenue then. And as I was doing my consulting work, I thought about what would a company have to look like for me to really want to work with it? And Second Avenue is an amazing story. Uh, it's based in Rochester, New York, really supports the community there, uh, has done a lot of great work, for instance, for the Golisano Medical Center, which is part of St. John Fisher College. And um, so I have been on the board of directors for the company now for about a year and am presently head of strategy and innovation for the company. Okay. Yeah. I was going to mention that. I saw that on LinkedIn, that you're head of the strategy and innovation. And what does that role include with that title? It's a small, a small company. And so I'd be lying if I said there wasn't some shape-shifting involved. And uh, that's one thing that I like about it is uh, one day I might be thinking about our uh, internal business development function, another day our marketing function, but really uh, strategy and innovation is helping the company look forward over the next three or five or 10 years and looking for opportunities for the company to expand and serve the community, whether that community is Rochester or the state of New York or the United States or globally. And when I say globally, it's a company that actually helped to create with the University of Kentucky an organic chemistry course that pretty soon a, a Chinese professor is uh, having a paper published with regard to that. So truly uh, on those four levels, looking ahead, looking for opportunities to help and um, also uh, opportunities that can benefit the company. That's wonderful. Well, and I'd love to have you tell us more about Second Avenue. I mean, of course, it sounds like you've been working with them for quite a while, but, you know, give us the background to where they came from and, you know, how they've grown, what their mission basically is. So it would be impossible to talk about Second Avenue without talking about Rochester and companies like Kodak. And Kodak, for one reason or other, maybe well-deserved, is the poster child for large company that didn't make the right pivot at the right time. So Kodak actually invented digital photography. And internally, they said, this will never become anything. That's funny. And so uh, 20 or 30 years later, ended up being like a lot of, looking like a lot of factories where I grew up uh, in the Pittsburgh area, just empty. And so there was a lot of talent in the Rochester area and Victoria Van Voorhoos, uh, Tori, is the founder and CEO. Uh, she felt that there was an opportunity in the ed tech world to build really cool ed tech stuff, take advantage of um, the talent that was in the Rochester community. And uh, so in 2006, uh, she founded the company. So it's a female-owned, female-founded company. And they've done everything, yes, I should say we, um, but I don't want to take credit for anything that's been done except for maybe the past year or so. So they've done everything from building uh, AR um, math automaticity games uh, way back in 2014 to serving uh, companies as kind of building stuff that uh, is either an integration, essentially powering what other companies have and doing it in a broad area. So We've worked with the K-12 space. We've worked with uh, Harvard Business School. We've worked with Amazon and done some work uh, for them recently. 
we uh, so we we do work in in many different spaces. Ed tech is ed tech. Integrations that are especially behind the scenes are fairly fairly standard. And one of the great opportunities that we have is to flex our gaming and simulation muscles. So the company's always been innovative. Recently, we uh, built a learning language game uh, oh, wow. for the United Indian Tribe and through a grant with uh, Texas Christian University. And so over the past 15 years, you'd be hard pressed to find a company in ed tech that has done work in more crevices than Second Avenue has. I just found it to be one of the best kept secrets in terms of a corporate organization in the country. And I just feel really blessed to be part of the organization right now. That's exciting. And when I noticed, so they have a tab that says who we serve. Of course, we've talked about ed tech, the education, but I also see there's healthcare and corporate. You know, why those three areas are, you know, under who we serve. What's the dynamic with that? That's a great question. So a lot of the, the capabilities that you develop when you develop a, a learning experience for ninth graders that might be a simulation also apply to healthcare workers who might have to work with populations they're not used to working with. Uh, for instance, uh, people who have developmental disabilities. And then that also applies uh, to other areas uh, that might apply to other companies. So at the end of the day, Rebecca, a simulation that's well done is a simulation that's well done is a simulation that's well done. And we can change out 2D art into 3D art. We can change something that's very textual into something that has voice. Uh, we have an outstanding learning design tradition. Uh, right now, Dr. Andrew Gump is our head learning designer. Uh, Dr. Gump actually was, I think, uh, early in his career, cut his teeth at K-12 and is a professor at the University of Maryland. Uh, in addition to serving our, our company. And so uh, Andrew right now leads uh, a lot of that, that thinking as a thought leader. At the end of the day, uh, whether it's integration, simulations, games, gaming engines, apps, all of those are areas that extend very well across those verticals. And so if you're making a game that serves a group of college students, that same game may very well serve uh, in manufacturing training with just a little bit of reskinning. Well, and the subtitles, it's definitely Second Avenue, but it's reimagined learning. So in each one of those fields, that continues that learning process. Is that what you're talking about? Like you're creating gaming situations, but like as a continued ed, maybe for healthcare and corporate? Is that? Cause, That's I mean, exactly right. Because mm -hmm. the products, you definitely touch on, you know, middle school STEM, I think it's interesting you have an election tab, election edge, K through eight math, um, voices for suffrage. Those are some of the products, but then it looks like these are ways to continue like that continuous learning that we've maybe talked about in the past. They really are. When we build things, we build them the last, we build them innovatively. Uh, we build them in such a way that uh, they're of such quality that they can be used for a variety of purposes. And we have very imaginative, fun people who work for Second Avenue. And uh -huh. so we're thinking all the time, you just, you just mentioned Election Edge. And there's, to the best of my knowledge, there's no other product that exists that's like Election Edge. Uh, we think it's a well-kept secret to a great extent. And you can run an election. You can go back and run any historical election since the beginning of the United States elections. 
Oh, and so you can go back and look at what elections were like in 1876 or in 1800. You can look at red and blue states over that period of time. You can run your own elections. It has a lot of capability, but we also built it so that it has a back end to it that could apply across a lot of different disciplines and maybe even uh, different corporate and organizational functions. So that's the way that we think about what we build, uh, no matter what we're building and who we're working with. And right now we're working on extending that type of thinking into the world of career education as well. And so it's uh, just a very exciting opportunity, exciting company to work for. It's not that we do all things for all people, but we're certainly willing to try and are able to scale up and expand very rapidly. Well, and I find this to be a very exciting field that we're talking about because, you know, especially in COVID, I saw a lot of people having to shift to kind of our old model of doing things and how that's been organized to this new way of thinking. And that included companies, that included, you know, schools, that included all of these areas that we've talked about. You know, let's kind of go back. I mean, you said that this started in 2006, but I would imagine that there's been a huge mindset shift, but let's talk about maybe where we've been and where we need to go with that, on that model of organization and how, you know, um, you put down that today's model is based on organization trying to solve their problems. And we need to kind of move that thinking. Is that correct? I think that's right. Um, Let me take a moment and apply that to the topic and idea of career education and career exploration for a minute. So we have states all over the country that are trying to attract businesses. That's noble. It's what we should be doing. It's outstanding. And that helps to move our economy forward. But so often we see announcements in the newspaper that there's a factory that's coming to Uh, I'm just going to make something up, Uh, Podunk, South Carolina. And I I love South Carolina. It didn't mean to make up. I hope that name isn't disparaging in any way, but 7,500 jobs coming to Podunk, South Carolina uh, in a factory. And, you know, we're looking for people who are skilled and have some type of a a credential. And I want to be one of 7,500 people who are exactly the same, who walk into a factory uh, to do a job every day, said nobody ever. Everybody has their own instances, their own family, their own dignity. And as such, we all have our own ideas of who we can be tomorrow and a year from now and three years from now. And being one of 7,500 people who are kind of the same going in to working, whether it's in a factory or uh, working at a white collar job where somebody needs 100 accountants to accomplish something, Uh, We live in a world today where the scale is unimaginable. And yet we need to remember that the people who are doing these things are people. The people that we're hiring are individuals who have dreams. They have hopes. So the question that I think a company like Second Avenue asks is, how can we apply the best of educational technology to regard all of these individuals no matter race, color, creed, gender identification, whatever they are, how can we empower all of these individuals to be following a career path that they have chosen, that they've decided that they are going to be invested in? And how can we also help them as they're moving along in their path five or 10 or 15 years 
on down the road. How can we help them to make pivots? Uh, Rebecca, I'll bet that, you know, 30 years ago, you didn't think that you would be hosting a podcast. No. Right? No idea. And, yeah. and I know that I've bounced around in my career a little bit, like a, a pinball first at NASA, which was a great opportunity to work with the world champions at everything. I mean, it's NASA. I always felt like when I drove onto the NASA campus that they had made a mistake. But every time I went in, they kept they paid me. And so I guess I was supposed to be there and really loved the work that I did there. But uh, I bounced around uh, to a variety of places, been very fortunate. But I've had a very much a self-directed career and had opportunities that were available to me. And um, also, I'm a little bit crazy and was not afraid to take risks. My risk tolerance might be higher than most people. Not everybody has these opportunities. And not everybody has people coaching them, helping them, being with them every step of the way. But we live in a time when technology can enable that. We have apps that help people lose weight. We have apps that help people meditate. We have wearables that'll tell you what your blood pressure is so often that when you look at them, it probably raises your blood pressure. <laughs> and we have all kinds of things that are like that, but we, we don't have a career coach that we can put in everybody's pocket yet. And I envision a day in the not too distant future where there are several versions of that. I think that's an area where a company that has the capabilities that Second Avenue has can really contribute both to the conversation because of the experience that we bring to bear with career education now, and then um, also from an ed tech standpoint. That's great. And when we think about it too, and I think we've talked about this before, that career exploration, sometimes students when they're young, they have no idea what's available, but that even can transfer into being older, you know, as I'm trying to move in back into the job force after, uh, you know, quite a delay, I'm trying to figure out, you know, where I want to explore, because obviously my interests have somewhat shifted actually quite a bit uh, more to education than it than it was when I was younger but does Second Avenue work on that like they work on helping young people identify but then maybe even the older people come up and raise and improve their skills to be ready and qualified for some of these jobs that maybe you know technology has advanced so far that maybe I I'm not as prepared as I could be. Does that make sense? So it, it does. And right now we aspire to be part of the conversation. We feel like there are many tools that are out there to help people that uh, all of those tools have merit and they have value. Uh, I'm in the middle of a project right now where I'm doing a deep consultation with a company, in fact, that has a tool that's uh, been available for five years and it's a great technological tool. Where we see the breakdown, though, I'm going to go back to an experience that I had back in the late 90s. In the late 90s, there was nobody that created better education content than NASA. And they created, the old joke is, we created a ton of posters and coasters. So you could go into almost any science classroom in America and see a NASA poster. And we were creating and giving out CD-ROMs at record levels. Like, make, you know, you'd have a mission that would make 20 or 50,000 CD-ROMs. And those CD-ROMs ended up being coasters for a lot of people's summer lemonade. I mean, not everybody was out there just putting them into their computer, right? Yeah. And so these were just spammed all over the place. And so there was a problem there. And the problem was 
how to get the best content that exists, the best stuff that exists out to the people who were at the last mile of being able to use it, teachers, teachers in the classroom, and then give them the comfortability and confidence to be able to use it. Well, today, I think we have the same problem, but with regard to career exploratory tools that are in existence and a lot of other things that have to do with career. There are some great tools that people can access online, but how do they access these tools? How do we give an eighth grader the opportunity to access a tool to find out if they're more qualified to be an astronaut or a marine biologist, if they have an interest in science, for instance? And then how do we do the same thing for a 28-year-old? Because I'm approaching 60, and as I'm approaching 60, Rebecca, I feel younger. I feel like 60 is like the new 40. So, you know, when somebody is 40, what tools do we put in front of them to help them understand what a product manager is and how that's an opportunity that's different than a project manager? And they sound the same, and they're very different jobs in different positions. So we see the opportunity that we have as um, being technological facilitators. And I can't talk a lot about our, um, our sort of top secret uh, idea in this case, but what we really want to do is we want to we do a great job of making it easier for people to connect with all of the tools that are out there in one way or another so that they have that one-stop shop that's easy for them to access. And through technology, we can provide that. And when I say we, that's not just Second Avenue. I mean, that's something that people should have in their pocket today. Community colleges, another quick example, community colleges have access to the best curricular content in the history of humanity that we saw during COVID that could be delivered anywhere, anytime. I think going back to the first time that we talked, we talked about the opportunity that K-12 really provided for people was you could take grade school or high school anywhere, anytime on almost any device. And so now you could do community college the same way, but the difference with a career program is that it's a program. You can take somebody through some Microsoft courses. You can help them earn Microsoft Office, MOS, or referred to as MOS, specialist credentials. But at the end of the day, what about learning soft skills? There are myriad studies that show that soft skills are the most important types of skills in helping an employee move up uh, the ladder in terms of the value that they provide for a company being able to communicate, being able to problem solve, et cetera. It's always a problem, right? How do we get them their first experiences? Because how often do we hear about people who apply for a job and they can't get the job because they don't have any experience, but they can't get any experience because they can't get a job. So it's incumbent upon the learning institution, the community college to be able to do that. And in order to do that, you have to build Uh, relationships between local employers or regional employers and the community college. That's an area where community colleges could be making themselves more relevant than they are today. And they could do that very quickly, actually even attract more money. We want to help facilitate that. We want to help make that happen. All of the things that I just mentioned exist, but for one reason or another, just like the poster and coasters at NASA, They're not getting into the hands of the right people who are using them the right way. And there's some reason for that. So given our experience, we want to provide value in that area. 
Well, and I see that could be extremely helpful in, in the mindsets of people because sometimes when, you know, we have students that are going through academia, you know, all the way up through the college level, and then when they start their career path, they're ill-prepared, they're not able to flex and move to the job that they need to, and then they become really bitter about, you know, all the things that we've told them through academia is if you become more educated, if you come more of this or that, you're going to be successful and then when they try to bridge over to the corporate life or or capitalism or something like that then they become somewhat embittered because they feel like I, I don't know in a lot of ways I think that they're they feel very cheated for having moved through this and then they're still not and they blame it on they blame it on the system of free markets or capitalism or whatever. Do you feel like that that's kind of where that gap is of being able to bridge you know what goes on in our careers to to that education so that maybe they're more compatible? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I mean, and that's what I feel like you're saying is that you're trying to get to that place of like where there's a good intermix maybe of. I do. Um, and there are two sides to that. There's what a four-year institution or a community or junior college, there's what they can reasonably provide for people. And I think we all know right now that there's a gross inequity in the opportunity that students have based on geography, ethnicity, race, to get into especially the elite colleges in the United States. That's not a secret. And if I were a student today coming out of college with the amount of debt that I would have to carry, and you know, to make no bones about this, over the past 30 years, the cost of a college education has skyrocketed at almost a criminal rate. Yeah. While inflation has gone up almost linearly, the cost of a college education has gone up exponentially. And what that means is that there should be an exponentially greater amount of value associated with it. If that was what was sold to me as the dream, mm -hmm. and now I get out of college, and I might not even be able to get a job in the area that I had been working very diligently, taking on 80000 or $60,000 or $40,000 in student loans, I'm going to pay back for the next 10 or 20 years to be gainfully employed, I certainly would feel disillusioned and embittered. I think that's kind of the, for that age group, that's the bad news. The good news is that that's the story of how you're beginning your career. As you move forward, the different types of jobs that will open up to people uh, over the next five or 10 years are almost literally unimaginable. And I'll go back to the idea that if you have that career coach in your pocket, if you have the opportunity to continue to go back and learn new skills, and I don't care what age you are, you could be 20, 40, 60, uh, if you're going to continue in the workforce, you're going to have to continue to upskill. Um, upskill is a word that I don't think existed 10 years ago for most of us. And now it's a word that I see in print, uh, in the media almost every day. And so, how are you going to do that? You have to go back to a community or technical college or even a four-year college. You have to retrain yourself unless your uh, present employer, and uh, McDonald's does this, Walmart does this, um, they have programs where you could take courses online through schools like Arizona State University. And that's uh, laudable. But again, all of those opportunities have to become accessible to everybody that we have. That includes 
people who can wake up in the morning and simply get out of bed and go to school. It also includes people who may not be in a state in life where they have a car, which mm -hmm. makes it harder for them to even get food in their refrigerator, which then takes away some of the disposable time that they would have to compete against other college students for grades that would then qualify them for certain jobs. So we have to, in one way or another, uh, find a way to make those opportunities more equitable. And I know that a lot of people are talking about that and working on that right now. I think uh, the direction that we're moving in at Second Avenue uh, provides an opportunity to make some inroads there. It's going to take some time. But to answer your question, yes, there are many frustrated and angry people out there uh, with regard to their economic situation. And in terms of their opportunities, there should be people who feel like um, no matter what they do, how hard they try, they just don't have the tools to be able to find the jobs and opportunities that other people uh, have uh, coming to them. Well, and I thought I saw that on your website somewhere. I'm trying to to find it, but I know that you were somewhat focused on being able to serve the people who are maybe um, underprivileged in a lot of ways. Is that true? That that's one of the focuses of what you're trying to do as well? Well, I think everybody today would say that they strongly believe and are acting toward um, equitable solutions and serving uh, marginalized groups in our country. So that's an easy yes. But one of the most marginalized groups in our country, for instance, have been Native Americans. And they're a group that has been, uh, there hasn't been a lot of attention paid to equitable opportunities for Native Americans. When I was with NASA, uh, one of the uh, missions that I worked with was GOES. And GOES satellites have been orbiting the Earth for decades now, and they're the satellites that send us magically uh, the wonderful weather images that we've been getting now since the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So without these GOES satellites, spacecraft, you wouldn't have uh, the weather forecast that you get from the Weather Channel or on, on television or anything like that. Um, there's nothing magical about the technology that gets information from the camera on the spacecraft down to Earth. Um, basically, that's picked up uh, in a way that's very similar to how your car radio works. It's just a bigger dish and a longer distance, but I used to joke, they're, they're actually, they're, Rebecca, this will scare you maybe, there actually was a congressman in the 90s, I forget who they were, but there was a congressman in the 90s who, uh, in a comment that they made during a session of Congress, talked about these images as if they thought that these were actual photographs that were taken in space, and somehow those photographs, like Polaroids, were just developed and got down here instantaneously. So anyhow, I digress. So let me, let me get back on point. And, what, what really happens with those is digital data comes down from the satellite, goes into a computer, the computer processes it and makes it into a photo. Um, that's been happening for decades. We were part of a program, uh, we had an education program that was associated with GOES, where we took the uh, radio dishes that were required in order to be able to do this and went to uh, the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota and installed a satellite dish on top of uh, the school there. So that they, and I, I think there were three other schools, but they were one of only a couple schools 
that had the opportunity to see this data and learn how to process the data immediately and so be kind of the person behind the weatherman that you see on TV. Oh, because most of the time, it's not the weather, the weatherman or weather person that, that does that. And so that's an example of not too many people think about the opportunities that need to happen for Native Americans. And yet, the most impoverished people in our country, statistically, are on reservations. So we have enjoyed the opportunity to work with the Oneida Indian tribe to help them not only upskill their tribe, but at the same time, uh, to help them build a game that's going to keep their culture and their language going. That's and exciting. maybe in, in your show notes, we can, uh, we can add a link to it. Um, okay. But I, I will tell you that the game is, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful game. And I have to credit and compliment our creative director and our, our creative staff for building something that doesn't just work and work well and check all the boxes, but really honors uh, the Oneida heritage. And so we continue to seek out opportunities that are like that. Um, the opportunity that I had to work um, the last time that we talked with Fusion Education, we're still doing some work for Fusion Ed. And Fusion Ed, uh, just to remind you, works with a um, network of schools in the state of Ohio for uh, students who are uh, either uh, both coming back to schools and fault learners to get their GEDs or students who are grossly credit deficient. And about 87% of those students are African-American. Uh, the thing I love about Fusion Ed is that not only are they trying to help these students get diplomas, they're also trying to infuse career opportunities into the curriculum so that instead of just having a diploma, they have a diploma and some type of an endorsement, credential, certification, or at least some background in a career that is a middle or high skill, middle or high wage career. That's so, so um, exciting. That's how we tried to support those types of things. Even before it was uh, a national conversation, I know that that's something that was a target or goal of mine in my career. And democratizing education, of course, was something that K-12 has been working at, K-12 now Stride, K-12 Stride, has been doing uh, for decades. And um, I love uh, Second Avenue's approach to it as well. That's really exciting. And when we've talked about, you know, finding the solutions of kind of making that, you know, finding that career exploration and trying to figure out how to help individuals, you know, we've talked about reaching the individual through other groups. Is it possible to use Second Avenue learning in that career exploration, that career path as an individual? You know, say that you aren't working for a company or for the government or for the healthcare or something like this that would help provide the Second Avenue learning opportunities and you want to access this just on your own in kind of a homeschooling or self-directed mm -hmm. situation. Is that possible to do? So that's interesting. Uh, by the way, something like Election Edge or Martha Madison that you saw on our website, with those products, it's easy to do if a homeschooling uh, parent wanted to use Election Edge for themselves or even for a local group. Uh, just like any other product, lots of companies offer products like this, but you come to the website, pay $99, uh, and you have access to that for a year for a class, whatever a class is. And so that's why I mentioned, you know, some homeschoolers get together in groups or pods, and certainly, you know, you'd be able to use that. For something like this, this is a little bit of a different challenge. 
we're not talking about a learning experience that starts and ends like it would with election edge. You come upon that time of the year that you've got some objectives, you need to teach it, you need something interesting and engaging to use, election edge is an unbelievable tool in order to be able to do that. And then you're done with those objectives and that's mm -hmm. it. You put it away for a while and then you pull it out again next year. And when I say put it away and pull it out, of course, it's all digital, right? In this case, when we talk about people's careers, a platform that serves as a career coach in your pocket has got to be able to apply to people who are at the top of their game or people who are unemployed and maybe don't, maybe they don't even know what the next opportunities yeah. are out there. So it has to include some career exploration and also has to include an opportunity to ladder up and to help people see what are the opportunities ahead of you. Maybe you're somebody who's been fortunate and you've worked hard and you're making $80,000 a year. Maybe you're 55 and um, so you're thinking about retirement, you want to increase your income, or you want to really, you haven't made the biggest dent in humanity that you wanted to, and so you're aspiring to do that. So it's important that the, whatever the tool is, the tool itself brings enough to bear, enough information and enough capacity and flexibility that it can really help a wide variety of people. And then in addition to that, uh, Rebecca, it has to be accessible to everybody. There was a period of time where my wife and I lived uh, just outside of Herndon, Virginia, but geographically, there's a little arm of the state of West Virginia that's not far from Herndon. And so we live right over the border in West Virginia. It's amazing how many people in West Virginia still don't have broadband. Wow. And, and broadband is an assumption that we all make in our everyday lives uh, throughout the last year and a half, it's become even that much more important and critical because in an era where people are working remotely, mm -hmm. it's a necessity. I mean, you have to have broadband in order to do what we're doing right now. Yeah. And even then, even then, it's a, it gets a little bit, uh, sometimes people just disappear and come back because of technology. Uh, I know the most used phrase last year was, um, you're on mute. And so, you know, there's there, there are all those things. But in order for something to really be an equitable solution and unleash a lot of the talent that we have in our country that hasn't been able to be unleashed because people don't haven't had access to opportunity, to equitable opportunity. In order for that to happen, we have to, A, we have to solve some infrastructure problems so that there's broadband everywhere, but B, um, as we think about potentially creating a tool that tool is something that's going to have to be uh, simple enough to be accessible everywhere, where that's an app and accessible on mobile. Um, I, I think more people probably have mobile phones than have laptop computers. That's a guess. I don't have probably, yeah. recent statistics to back that up. In fact, after the show today, I may go and look that up because I'd like to have that number handy. But at the end of the day, it's got to be something that can help everybody. A last note, uh, Tori and I recently talked to somebody who is building an app for farmers in Sub-Saharan Africa. And the very talented young lady that we spoke with is uh, in Lagos, Nigeria. And we think our standard of living, sometimes we don't have everything that we want. Um, these, when we talk about farming in Sub-Saharan Africa, you may know this, we're not talking about farming 
that's like the corn and wheat fields that we go by as we drive down the road every day. We're talking about subsistence farming. These are people who live in places where really they heat their homes with manure. And that's the standard of living there. So that's important and really worthy. Those people, in most cases, have better access to phone signal than people do in the state of West Virginia. Wow. And, so, and I would agree with that. I mean, even here in Idaho, that was a big thing, like when COVID hit, of how to educate all of these children that didn't have internet access, you know, when the school district was kind of pushing that. And I know that that was something that they worked really hard. I think it's kind of an ongoing process, but making sure every household had access to the internet so those children could continue to learn. Is that kind of what you're talking about? I am. And I know that you have some extremely remote places in in the state of Idaho. They're beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. I I haven't been out to Boise or uh, the state in far too long. And uh, I look forward to coming out to Idaho again whenever I get the chance. But some of the most beautiful places in Idaho are, as you know, extremely, extremely remote. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the long answer, though, is trying to create these products for the individual, but make them accessible more so on our phones, correct? Then I, I think so. Laptop. And that could be phone, it could be laptop. Uh, you know, from a technology standpoint, just had a conversation with our head of development yesterday about this. It's not always an either or that it has to be a website or an app. Mm -hmm. Uh, In many cases, really, if you're smart about how you build something, just building uh, one code base actually ends up serving multiple opportunities. Again, that's one thing I love about working with Second Avenue is the talent of the people there is just amazing. And it's a fun, energetic group of people who enjoy things like games and simulations and really have a heart for people. And so I think the solutions that are developed, whether they're developed by us or in conjunction with other great companies that are out there that have pieces to this puzzle, in order for them to be equitable, they're going to have to be uh, creatively delivered. And by the way, may not always have to be delivered technologically. Uh, They could be delivered in, uh, uh, there are still games that are played uh, that are like uh, Pokemon cards, right? And so thinking creatively, it doesn't always have to be using the latest and greatest technology that's available, but we do have to make technology ubiquitously available and and the opportunity to to be able to grow your career so that we can unleash the talent that we have in America and we, we can make people whole. That's important. Yeah, I, I think that was one thing that you talked about. You know, if people are honored, their career paths would bring them great joy and fulfillment. And that was another thing, too. Like when you're talking about that career path, a lot of our preparation, is it for the next job and that that long-term path? Is that the difference between what Second Avenue does is that they kind of see the long view of maybe where you want to be, even though you may not even know. I mean, like you said, there's jobs available now that weren't available decades ago, but What does that entail, I guess, to kind of bring that great joy and that fulfillment for people in that career path? Yeah, that's that's a great question. It's one that I am particularly tied to on um, an emotional level. And I would liken that situation to the following metaphor, and that is uh, if I were going on a long trip, maybe for a vacation, I want to start out by knowing how I'm going to get from point A to point B. 
I want to be able to get from wherever I'm at, where it's snowy and ucky and been in bad weather for several months or whatever that is. And I want to be able, if I'm driving, if I'm using a vehicle, it's under my power. So I'm not getting on a bus and somebody else is driving or something like that. But if I have to get from point A to point B, I need to know where point A is, I need to know where point B is, and I need to know how to get there. It's absolutely not how we approach career development today. We approach development, career development, as if all we need to do is help people get from one gas station to the next gas station so that they can fuel up again. And we leave it to people's own devices, imaginations, and situations for them to know how to get the gas, know how to figure out where the next gas station is, and hope that that next gas station is somewhere that makes sense if they're trying to get to point B. In other words, what you described is what would be ideal and what we must do. We must help people under their own direction, by the way, not tell them, but help facilitate for them how to get from where they are to continue to build the life that they want. Not everybody's life is terrible, but we all have dreams. We all have aspirations. I remember being disappointed, by the way, Rebecca, when I was in sixth grade, I wanted to be an astronaut. And I found out that in order to be an astronaut, you had to be under six feet tall. And I don't think you and I have ever met in person, but I'm 6'4". And it was <laughs> obvious when I was in sixth grade, I was not going to be five foot 11 or under. And so I may have even shed a tear at that moment. And so I'm not saying that it's incumbent upon us to create a world that, where we have to bend time and space and you know, make opportunities that just don't exist. But we do have to give people the opportunity to be able to get from point A to point B and not just be one of those people that's, uh, as I talked about the, the example before, not just one of those 7,500 people so we can fill up a factory and we can meet some corporate goal. We have to honor and respect people as if they're individuals, because at the end of the day, that's what they really are. They are individuals. And if we treat people that way, then I think we're going to find greater level of happiness, greater level of productivity. I'm not going to understate this. I think that's the way forward. There's a lot of strife in our country, a lot of insecurity, a lot of concern. Mm -hmm. And by giving people a great equitable opportunity where instead of wondering how they're going to put food on their table tomorrow or how in uh, the next year or two, they're going to continue to have a job where they can see this is a path that I have. And under my direction, if I want to change that path, I can with an app or with a computer program or I might go onto a website I can change these three variables, and now all of a sudden I can see other possible career paths, just like you can do with Google Maps right now if you're traveling anywhere. That's so uh, I'm sorry, that was a really long-winded yes, but I think if we build anything short of that or we think we're thinking about anything less than that, we're probably short-sighted. I'll cite one other area where we need to expand our thinking, and that is uh, this idea of seat time equals mastery. Mm -hmm. This is not a new idea. This is yeah. something that's been around since the 60s and 70s. We who have been in education know that it exists, competency-based education as opposed to second by second by second ticking off the clock-based education. It's a great opportunity. And if I'm somebody who has uh, three young children, and I may have the right IQ, I may have an amazing EQ, 
uh, down the street. I might have a DQ. I don't know. But I may be a very talented individual, the type of person that an organization really needs and where I might shine. But at the end of the day, if I can't get a certain credential because I can't find a competency-based opportunity and where I have to just sit for a certain amount of time, I don't have the same amount of time as person B who doesn't have three rugrats that are demanding my attention a lot more often. And the only time I might have in order to be able to take a course or a series of courses or to earn a credential might be after I get all of them to sleep. I might be motivated, outstanding. And, you know, quite frankly, if I'm hiring someone, that's the type of person that I want. Somebody who is hungry and motivated and smart, um, as opposed to somebody who just has time. Because time does not equate necessarily to IQ. Yes. Uh, so, so well, I think, and a yeah. lot of time in the seat is also very boring. That's <laughs> that was true. the that was the number one complaint that I got, and I saw it a lot more from parents who were suddenly doing virtual schooling with their children through a school district versus like K-12 or one of those places is that the amount of time that the teacher expected their children to sit there and for the parent to sit there with the child was just extremely frustrating. And so the parent, they would notice like, well, my kid is getting this done in like 15, 20 minutes, but the teacher wants them to sit there for an hour. And I remember when I first started started doing online schooling, I felt really guilty because I had been taught like, this is an all day process, you know, and you're supposed to sit there and you're supposed to do all that seat time was super important. But that was number one thing that I heard parents complain about. And then teachers were getting angry at the parents that they weren't spending that time sitting there. So my daughter went to an actual brick and mortar school this year. She chose to do that. And they did several days just as a test situation of, you know, let's work on our classes virtually. But she had a teacher that expected her to be there, sitting there, taking notes from eight o'clock in the morning. I don't think she finished the course because she wanted these detailed notes. I don't think she finished it till six o'clock at night. And I was so super angry because as a parent who's done a lot of virtual schooling, I know that what's important is that they get the objectives and that they learn the material. And sometimes that's quicker than other times. And I love the idea where Second Avenue actually tries to make a game out of it too. I mean, you'll see kids that will gladly sit, <laughs> you know, for many hours playing games or watching games be played or something like that versus just sitting there trying to stuff their brains full of information. Is that what you're kind of talking about? Like getting to that point in education where we all think about it different because even the mom who might have three children will think in her own mind that she doesn't have the time to get that education or to improve her circumstance. I absolutely agree that that is not only a noble and important goal, Rebecca, but it's something that we have to do in our country. We have got to get to the point where learning and learning opportunities and not just not, doesn't have to just be for career but um, I think that's the focus for right now because so many people are underemployed mm -hmm. compared to what their potential and what their desire is and it's because they don't know what's out there they don't know how to get to it you know college has been the pathway to success in our country now for a century over a century and as that evolves, as that changes, as more employers, for instance, 
are looking at hiring people based on what skills they bring to the table and not what credentials they bring to the table because skills are competency-based. In many cases, degrees are, okay, I outlasted whatever the requirements were to be able to get my BA or my BS degree. And that's a shift that we see starting, that's happening. IBM is one company that's an example that has been leading that shift out in front of other companies now for quite some time. And as we find that happening, then we need to bring the right things into whatever the device is, the phone, the computer, it could be a box. It doesn't, doesn't you know, it could be career education in a box, you know, for all we care. But ultimately it has to be accessible so that people can use it. And I think at that point, you're gonna find when you have people who are actualized and feel like they have opportunity, and that that opportunity is the same for me as it is for somebody else down the street, then I think a number of problems that we have today that we see on the news, that we continue to see in our society, uh, will drop by the wayside. And you mentioned something interesting, by the way, and that is, and you and I seem to hit on this every time that we talk, and that is, while all of this sounds really serious, education and learning needs to be, it needs to be fine. Yeah. It, it's a natural thing. It's a natural behavior. It's a natural capacity that human beings have to learn and to be able to make decisions based off their learning as to what they want to continue to learn. Yeah. And to the greater extent that we can make learning experiences game-based as opposed or practical at the very least or problem-based as opposed to drill and kill, where here's some information, take a quiz, here's some information, take a quiz. I think to the extent that we can do that, we're only going to serve that greater goal of helping people start to love learning and love what they're doing. We work with a lot of different companies. So that's not just Second Avenue's goal and vision. That's also the goal and vision of those companies that we help to support sometimes with uh, some of the back-end stuff that we create. Well, and I think some of the frustration, political frustration that we've seen recently is because maybe people were trained for a job when they first began, and then they've worked for that company for 20 years or something, and their skills haven't increased, and the company's seeing, well, we need to have people with these types of skills. At least that's kind of what I'm seeing is that a lot of people, when they're a little bit older, they end up losing their job because they haven't kept up with those skills or found a way to continue to educate themselves and companies have been pretty poor at doing that in a lot of ways like they're not being as innovative in some situations is that kind of what I've never seen an well? era yep but I've no? never seen an era where organizations have to adapt and adjust faster than they do today and in order to do that many organizations feel that when they have to make a big pivot the best opportunity is to ignore the people who have worked for the organization for some time and bring in the people that they need with a different skill set. And upskilling is really that opportunity to take those people who have been loyal to you maybe for many years and give them the opportunity to acquire new skill sets, obtain more value. And there's a, a great opportunity for the organization because those people have a lot of knowledge and information from the time they've been with you. In addition to that, you know, there's a risk, and that is that as you build an individual in terms of their skills, they become more valuable, and sometimes they become really attractive to other companies. But I think the gains out there outweigh the risks. You see, again, many companies and organizations really investing in upskilling 
not just as an organizational improvement, but also a benefit and inducement for employees to stay with the company that they're in. So in a lot of ways, upskilling used to be like paying for somebody to get their master's, uh, which I know still exists. But at the same time, sometimes people don't need to get their master's. Sometimes they may have a skill set in project management and they may want to make a shift to being a product manager or an account manager. And that doesn't entail as much as getting a master's. But if you can help somebody do that inside your organization because you need more product managers or account managers and fewer project managers, that's a great way to be nimble and stay competitive today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and use your resources like the people that are already at your fingertips more so than, you know, finding something new. I think where I was going is a lot of people were, are angry about the outsourcing that we're doing, that America is doing, you know, to other countries, but those are people who have the skills or that's a lot of it is that we're just not as skilled as we need to be to be competitive. So, well, you know, that you, you raise an interesting point and that is that, look, for programming, it's very difficult to compete with companies in India just costs too much here, costs much less if you're gonna work with folks in India. So what's the difference? Why is it even a conversation? I think the answer to that is a topic that we brought up for a short period of time earlier, and that is, but in terms of professional skills and soft skills, we have a workforce that is second or has been, had been at one point, I don't know what the right way to, to talk about our country, which I'm, I'm very, I'm amazed at the people that we have here, but we have the opportunity to build the best problem solvers in the world here. And we continue to show that because as we track innovation around the globe, a greater percentage of innovation comes from America, now, a greater percentage of a lot of things, not always good things, comes from America too. But we offer a greater percentage per capita of innovation to the world than anybody else. What jazzes me about having worked for NASA is they're the champs of innovation. At least, you know, they were at one point. And it's the professional skills that I think set people in our country apart. It's not uniquely American. I mean, that could be true in any country. But while we're helping people become paralegals, if that's what they want to become, or medical transcription, whatever they aspire to be, also helping them acquire outstanding communication skills and understand how to communicate well outstanding problem-solving skills, grit, or persistence. And that whole spectrum of, depending on how you delineate it, it might be anywhere from 17 to 50 different types of soft skills. That's something that employers here, I think, realize that that's something that they can only get at home. It's not something that you find as you work uh, in other places around the globe. And um, I'll tell you that uh, in some specialized instances, I've actually seen that. Uh, over the last couple of months, working with teams around the globe who just seem to be missing something here or something there. It makes a difference in the work that ends up being done. Yeah. Sometimes being a person who follows directions isn't as valuable as a person who can... Um I think that it's that maverick spirit in a way. And it, like you said, it's not an American thing, but it's somebody who kind of can, you know, take what they know and then be able to maybe do something that seems disruptive to somebody else because they're not following the rules, but it actually brings that innovation and some creativity as well. Do you feel like there's anything that you want to talk about that we haven't covered that uh, Second Avenue might do for somebody or what you're working on in particular? 
Um, I think this is an exciting time. Yesterday, there was a, a major purchase merger in the, uh, the, the educational technology space. And having been somebody who has been in touch with educational technology my entire career, my first job was with a school district that was an IBM pilot school. And this is in the mid 80s. Oh, wow. It's exciting to see us as a global community start to reach the point where technology can really do amazing things and can solve amazing problems. At the same time, it also has to be managed properly because and when I'm talking about technology, I'm talking about uh, digital technology in the education space and how that can help people. Yeah. Just as that's an opportunity, we also have got to remember that it's our leadership that we depend on to be sure that the great opportunities don't become great tragedies. Like any technology, almost all technology can be used for good or it can be used for evil. You know, probably one of the first technologies was the fork. I can imagine somebody made the first fork, right? And I hope that they used the fork to eat and not as a weapon. And yeah. so, you know, even something that simple can be used for that. So education, most of us feel that it's something that is inherently good. We think learning is something that is as human as breathing is. Yeah. But it's incumbent upon us to keep track of our leadership, uh, regardless of uh, what our political affiliations are, political beliefs, and to be sure that we know and understand what's happening with technology, especially education technology, and how that impacts us and our children and our children's children. Um, never before have I thought more about the fact that the decisions that are being made today affect not just us, but it's going to affect generations to come. Yeah. And yeah. what concerns me sometimes, Rebecca, is it's not the decisions that we're making. Sometimes it's the opportunities that we're not investing in or that we're putting off for a period of time. Exactly. Um, so, for instance, we've kicked the global climate change problem. Uh, we've kicked that can as far on down the road as we can. And we're going to have to start to act and probably act in a way where uh, we understand that this is a global problem uh, in order to resolve it in some way that it's not going to resolve major tragedy. So I think education, for one reason or other, we never look at it as um, a lack of education could be a global tragedy, and yet it most certainly mm -hmm. is. Yeah. And to the extent that we can help create uh, opportunities for people to learn and obtain the skills and uh, competencies and employment that they want, that's a tragedy if that's not happening. Yeah. Through this pandemic, that was one of the things I noticed. It, it was a time of frustration for me, but also I was excited to see like, oh, finally people are getting it. But the frustration came that we didn't take the opportunity to learn some of these, you know, online virtual modalities better when it wasn't a crisis point. And then when it became a crisis point, it became very frustrating for people who maybe hadn't had the had the skills to it, but it was exciting to see all the people who were the risk takers or the people who had uh, stepped up their game early on, they became increasingly valuable. I, I think that's probably like a second avenue, what you're probably seeing too. It started in 2006 when maybe people weren't quite getting it. And now here we are in 
2021 where all of a sudden it's exploded and and that's i think the most exciting thing like you said we do have to keep track of that leadership and how innovative they're willing to be and to be risk takers because it will affect us years down the road just i'm just listening to some people online that back when i was talking about we should really be pushing you know some online classes and we're using these virtual things and all i heard was like well if kids get online they're going to look at pornography or they're just i mean that automatically assume the worst of what kids will do and then those were some of the same people that were frustrated you know trying to use this technology at a crisis point when it didn't need to be that way but it was fun to also see you know, it was good and bad in many ways because of that. So well, I Rebecca, agree. I have to give you credit for being at the tip of the spear when it comes to thinking about innovation and uh, some of the things that in the education space are obvious to us now and maybe were obvious to some of us five or 10 years ago, but weren't obvious to everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes the common good, we don't have a population of risk takers, people who think like we do, uh, but you're right. I think that um, not just COVID, but in addition to that, I think we've come to a reckoning where we realize that as a country, we want to be a place where everybody feels comfortable, where everybody needs to have equitable opportunity and be included. I think we understand that there's strength and diversity. I would hope that all of those things are um, just natural postures and um, yet Uh, we have some strides to make there. And I think through learning and education, we can make those strides. I agree. And I love the idea too, like with the scientific method, sometimes it's the conspiracy theorists that look like they're, you know, they're the nut jobs in a way, but those are people to listen to. And I think that's true in education that we kind of have to uh, maybe look at just different ways that people are doing things and be more open to that from the beginning. So... I think so, too. I'm hoping the last thing I'll tell you is the last time I was here, I had committed to having a book written. I don't know (laughs) if you remember that. And I I I don't have it written yet because I changed the direction I was going in. So at the time, I had started to write a book on metacognition and learning how to learn, learning faster. Uh And I think the opportunity that we have today with regard to how to build great, solid career programs is something that isn't well understood. So appreciate the time that I spent at Stride, formerly K-12, to be able to help with their destinations career program offerings and learned a lot about what to do and what not to do about building a career program. So I am further along with that book than I was with the other effort. And maybe the next time we talk, hopefully we'll talk, uh, it seems like our paths cross every 16 or 18 months. The next time we talk, um, we'll have a book to talk about. That will be great. And actually, when I first saw your booking, I thought we were going to talk about a book. So, but that's okay. That's the way it is sometimes that we'll take off in a direction and things change, you know, that we have new opportunities that come along and that's part of being that innovative person for sure. So, so is that really your last words of what you want to say, or is there anything else that you want to say before we say goodbye? 
That's it. I appreciate what you do. Thank you for having me on. And one of these days, maybe you'll give me the opportunity to interview you. I think oh, that would be, be fun. That would be really fun. Well, thank you so much. We've been talking with Patrick Keeney. He's been, what, four or five time guest, but he always has the most interesting things to say. We've been talking about secondavenuelearning.com. You can also find his information on LinkedIn, which we'll be sure to link in our show notes as well so that you can connect with Pat. He's been a wonderful mentor on education and being innovative. And I always find it really interesting to talk to you. So thank you so much, Pat, for coming on. I appreciate it. You're too kind. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.